All right. Well, we are going to be finishing up our I Am series today. Um, we've gone through uh, over the last six weeks these different I Am statements that, that Jesus made about himself in Scripture. And uh, we, we love the idea of I Am because we, it reminds us when Christ said that, he, he brought us back to the Old Testament when, when God called Moses out and said, I'm going to deliver my people. And he said, well, what is your name? Moses said. God said, I am who I am. And he said, well, who, who do I say sent me? I am. And so this is a, a statement of his godhood, but it also, what he does is take these physical realities and, and bring spiritual truth for us. And so he couples these I am statements. Today we're going to look at I am the light. And so if you would turn, I know, thank you, great, that's awesome. If you would turn to, uh, to John eight twelve, and I will do my best to enlighten you. Oh, that was awesome, right? Hey, let me, let me pray for us, okay? Father, I cannot enlighten anyone. I am a broken vessel. <laughs> I am a fallen man. And my sin is ever before me. But Father, you are the one who sheds light, who heals the blinds. You're the one who reveals and illumines our minds and our hearts and our souls to you. And I pray that this morning, Lord, you would set me aside, that you would use me, but that you would set me aside. And your word, as we read it, as we look into it, would be powerful and transforming in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So here's where we're going to start. Romans, or excuse me, I keep saying Romans. John 8, 12. All right, let me give you a little background on what's going on in this section of scripture, okay? This is in the time of the Jewish year, probably the fall. It's the Feast of Tabernacles. And this is the culmination of their fall feast. It is a huge time of celebration. Um, the, the previous two feasts were not required, but this one was required. And so you have all of the, of the Jews coming together in the city of Jerusalem, in Jerusalem and from outside of Jerusalem, coming in to celebrate this feast. It was a, it was a seven-day feast called the Tabernacles, because it, what they did was they made these uh, small kind of man-made structures that they would stay in for seven days. They'd come out of their homes, and it'd be like us today saying, hey, we're going to all get tents, and we're going to stay outside and have the greatest neighborhood night out that we've ever had, except it was citywide. And it was to remind them of their time in the wilderness wanderings, how God provided for them even though he led them in the wilderness, and they didn't have a home. They had to continue to follow God. So that was the historical feeling. It was also an agricultural time. It was the end of the harvest, and so there was tons of food available, fresh harvested food that was there. And what they would do is they would celebrate and feast, and they would party into the night through this festival, through this feast time of feasting. Huge, huge celebration. And one of the things they would do during this time is, is what they call a lighting ceremony. And in the temple, in the courtyard of the women, what they would have is they would have these four huge candles, 70 feet tall, with huge bowls that would hold oil. And they would, the, 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 the priests would take the, the old worn-out garments and they'd make wicks and they'd light these things. And it would be like today driving in College Station or Bryan and seeing the lights of a stadium in a distance. The problem for us today is we live in, in a in, in culture with electricity, with light pollution, 
And uh, we're used to it. But remember, this is in a time when no electricity. So everything was dark except for candlelight. And yet these candles would just light up the city in a very powerful way. And it's in that context that Jesus says these words. I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, that's the context that he said it in, but there's a greater context. And if you would permit me, I'd like to take you through a hopscotch of the context of the scripture of light and darkness, a tale of two kingdoms. And I want to take you to the origin of these kingdoms. Then I want to talk to you about the clash, the greatest clash that happened on earth between these two kingdoms and how it will resolve in the end. So I'm going to read quite a few scriptures here, and and they're not going to be up there, and I'm not going to ask you to follow me. I'm just going to ask you to listen. And I want you to listen to the themes of light as we look at some of these verses. Genesis chapter 1, 1 through 3, we're very familiar In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. Darkness over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. And then God said, what? Let there be light. And there was light. God speaks, and light bursts forth and pushes back the darkness. And God begins to establish his kingdom. It's very much like when you think of uh, light bursting forth. You think of at night when you're in your house, you've got your lights on, and outside it's dark, and you open the, open the door. What happens? The darkness rushes in, right? No. The light pushes out and pushes out the darkness. That, that's what we're looking at right here in this time. And God is going to establish a kingdom of light as he pushes back darkness He's setting up his kingdom full of goodness on earth and he creates man as a representative of him, of his authority. As a kingdom representative who would bear his image and take his light and spread it over the earth. And he says, be fruitful, multiply, spread over the earth. Subdue the earth, be my authority of light on the earth. And remember that we know from 1 Timothy that God exists and and lives in unapproachable light. And yet remember that Adam walked with God in the cool of the day, in the garden. He was able to be in God's presence. Adam didn't fear judgment. There was no darkness within him. When he stood next to the light, there was no darkness revealed. So he stood with God. So the kingdom of light is established, but then another kingdom rises. We know the serpent of old, Satan, also known as Lucifer, that he was the highest of angels and that in him was found iniquity and sin and pride. And he said, I want the throne of God. I want the glory for myself. And so he wants to establish his own kingdom, a counterfeit kingdom that opposes God, not of light, but opposite of light, not for God, but against God. And here's what he does. (laughs) We see in the scripture and Genesis chapter 3, with just a few words. I counted them up. There's like 24 Hebrew words. Think about this, 24 words. I'm going to speak a lot more than that today. And I might not have any impact on any of you. But Satan spoke about 24 Hebrew words, and it changed everything. Man is moved 
and to sin and by his disobedience, darkness floods into this world that God meant to establish light in. And I want to just give you a side. Never underestimate the power of words. Parents, kids, because with a few words, God created everything. And with a few words, <laughs> Satan brought death, destruction, bondage, and sin into this world. Because that's what his desire is. He wants to disrupt and destroy and undermine what God has done. And here's what happened. It's like, it's like God put a flame of life, of light in a man's heart and soul. And Satan, with a few words, comes over, tempts him into disobedience, and then whoo, blows out that flame and snuffs out the light. And now Adam, when he sees, when God shows up again, where does he do? He doesn't stand in the light. He hides from the light. He tries to cover himself. He tries to cover the darkness. And the results of his sin are that we're separated from God. In this kingdom of darkness, we've handed over, not our, we've handed over the authority that we were supposed to have for God. We've handed it over to him. And now he is the authority over this earth, Satan. And the rest of the Bible is the story of God bringing restoration to the brokenness of this world, to reestablish in the light where the darkness infiltrated. That's the origin. Now listen to the greatest clash. When Jesus shows up on this earth, listen to some of the things that we see in the Gospels. Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, remember he was silent and then he names his son John and his voice, his, his tongue loosens and he starts to prophesy about his son. And he says, you will go ahead of the king who is coming, the Christ. And he says this, because the Christ is coming to do this. Listen to these words. To give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of God. And listen to this. With which capital S, the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet to the way of peace. In John 1, John uses terms and and ideas that come right out of Genesis chapter 1. He says, in the beginning, we know in Genesis 1, it's in the beginning God, but he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he says, and he created, he spoke into existence, and he created the heavens and earth. And in John 1, it says, and Jesus, he was with God in the beginning, and all things came into being through him, and apart from him came Nothing came into being that has come into being. And in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light now shines in the darkness, but the darkness does not recognize it. Why? Because Satan is always adverse to God's kingdom. And it says in 2 Corinthians, Paul tells us that in case of those who are, who are still lost, it says, The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so they may not see the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. In Matthew, Jesus telling the parable of the sower explains it and says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in their heart. The tale of two kingdoms that clashing 
Jesus, and early in his ministry, he stands up in the synagogue and he turns to the book of Isaiah and he reads this out of Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and to set those who are oppressed. Do you see the clash of light and darkness? The greatest clash was this. When the forces of darkness thought they had won as Jesus was dying on that cross, little did they know. Why? Because the darkness is blind. They don't understand. But remember, as he breathes his last, it's dark. The sun is covered up, and it is dark on the earth. And three days later, what happens? When he rises again, and they come to the tomb on the morning of that day, and what's happening? The sun is rising, bringing light again. You see the imagery of light and darkness throughout the scripture? And we know how this story ends. That's the clash, but we know what the end will be because Revelation 21, 23 through 24 tells us a description of the new Jerusalem and the new heavens and the earth when God will finally push back the darkness for good. And it says the city, God's city, has no need of a sun or the moon to shine in it for the glory of God has illumined it. And its lamp is the lamb. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And so we see in scripture this context, this context of the kingdoms of light and darkness and the one of light with Christ, there is truth that brings restoration, that brings liberty and that brings life. And with darkness, there is blindness that keeps separation, bondage, and death. That's the big picture of Scripture. So it is no small statement that Jesus makes when he says, I am the light of the world. That who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life because he has come to restore what is lost, to, to restore what is broken and to push back the darkness. And we look forward to the day when sin will be eradicated upon this earth. So we look at this verse, we look at what he says here. And remember, in the context of that night, the Jews were there, the Pharisees were there. And here's what happens when he says this, and this ceremony is lit, because part of that lighting ceremony is to remind them of the themes of light in Scripture. And those Pharisees and those Jews, they're thinking about this statement, I am, that stands out to them. Wait, did he say I am again? The light. Here we are with the lighting ceremony and, and they're thinking about several things. They're, they're thinking about the light of creation. They're thinking about the burning bush. God's revelation to Moses of who he was. They're thinking about the pillar of fire at night. How God led them but revealed himself, showed him physically demonstration by that light. They're thinking about the Shekinah glory of God which dwelt in the temple and dwelt in the tabernacle to show his presence. Maybe they even thought of Moses, who when he met with with God in the tabernacle would come out and his face would glow, would shine because he was in the presence of God. Because when Jesus makes this statement, what he is really saying is this, is I am the source of life, of truth, of understanding and goodness. I am by nature the very revelation of the truth of God. And here they are standing there 
And their blindness is evident. Why? Because they're standing in the presence of the light. And they completely miss it. Instead, they just want to argue. Because here's the deal. They didn't miss what he said. They just missed him. They understood his claim. But they were blind and didn't believe it. And so they start arguing. And the rest of chapter 8 is them arguing, your testimony can't be true. Who is your father? What do you mean? We're in our sins. What do you mean? What do you mean? You can't say that. And they get so frustrated with Jesus that they pick up stones to throw at him. Nothing new for Jesus. And I want you to look at me with me in verse 9, if you, in chapter 9. We're going to read chapter 9 because Jesus does something amazing. After this discourse with the Pharisees and the Jews, he does something, another sign, a miraculous sign, a man born blind. And I want you to read, we're going to, I'm going to read this whole chapter with you. And I want you to notice a few things. It's this sign comes in light of what he just said. I want you to notice the humor. This is a humorous story. When you think about it, the ridiculous and the foolishness of blindness, okay, of these men who are unwilling to trust in the Lord. I want you to notice the blind man's words that he uses to describe Jesus because they will change and they will deepen with understanding. And then last, I want you to ask the question, who is really blind in this story, in this true story? Walk with me. Here we go in, in, in verse 1, chapter 9. It says this, And he passed by Jesus, and he saw a man blind from birth. This is key. It wasn't just someone who became blind, but blind from birth. I'll explain. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? And Jesus always ready to teach. Just like he picked up the vine and said, Let me teach you something about this. He takes this opportunity in light of what just happened. And he said, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him because we must work the works of him who sent me. As long as it is his day, because night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he had said this, he spat on the ground because Jesus has special spit. And he made clay of spittle, and he applied the clay to his eyes. He wiped mud on his eyes. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Shalom, or Shalom, which is translated sent. So he sent him away, and he washed, and he came back seeing. And therefore, the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, is this not the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, this is he. Still others were saying, no, but he is like him. And he kept saying, no, 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 you guys, I'm the one. See, they wouldn't listen to him. He's going, no, 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 it was me. And they're going, I don't know if it was him. I don't know. Do you know? Well, it looks like him, but it wasn't him. And he's going, guys, it was me. I was blind. I couldn't, I can see. I can see you. Look at the trees. So they asked him, how then were your eyes open? And he answered, listen to how he describes Jesus. The man who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes. And he said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and I washed and I received sight. And they said to him, where is he? He was blind. Where'd he go? (laughs) I don't know. 
And they brought the Pharisees to the man who was formerly blind. That was the Sabbath. Jesus always doing miracles on the Sabbath, challenging the religious ideas. He just loved stirring up trouble, didn't he? On the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes, and says the Pharisees also were asking him again how he received the sight. And he said to them, he applied clay to my eyes and I wash and I see. And therefore some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said to the blind man again, the blind man's always kind of relegated as these conversations happen, but they finally bring him in. What do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And look what he says. He must be a prophet. His eyes continue to open. He sees more and more clearly. And the Jews then did not believe it of him that he had been blind and had received sight until they called the parents of the very one who had received his sight. Well, you're his mama. You know your baby. Is this your son? And they questioned them. Is this your son who has been born blind? How does he see? And his parents asked them and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know. See, they don't want any part of this argument. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. And then his true, their true motivations are revealed. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed if anyone confessed him to be the Christ, they would be put out of the synagogue. And so for this reason, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. So a second time, they called the man who was been born blind, and they asked him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And listen to what he says. Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. So they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? See, they just, they just keep asking him the same questions. I told you already, and you did not listen the first time. Why do you want me to tell you again? Do you want to go and be his disciples too? And they reviled him. You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but for this man, we do not know where he is from. And he just spent chapter 8 telling him where he was from, telling him who he was. The man answered and said to them, well, there is an amazing thing <laughs> that you do not know where he's from, yet he opened my eyes. You're the religious experts. That's an amazing thing. God puts that in there. May we all walk in humility of what we know. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears them. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, that's what, the, that's what he's saying. He could do nothing. And they answered and said to him, you were born entirely in sins and you're teaching us. So they threw him out. And I love this. Jesus finds him. And says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, Lord, that I might believe in him? And Jesus said, you have both seen him. His eyes have been opened. Light has come to him. He has seen Jesus for who he is. And he is the one who is talking to you. And this blind man says, Lord, a man called Jesus 
a prophet, a man who doesn't have sin. He must be from God, and now he calls him Lord. I believe, and he fell down and worshiped him. And Jesus says, for judgment I came into this world so that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. And those Pharisees said, we are not blind too, are we? And Jesus says, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. The blind man believed and he received sight. And he knew he couldn't see and then he could. The Pharisees thought they could see, but they couldn't. And they missed it. You see, when we receive Christ, we receive the understanding of who he is. But when we reject him, we stay in blindness. And it's interesting that Jesus picks this man, born in blindness. Because there's a reality for all of us, and that is this, because of Adam and Eve's choice, we all are born into this world blind, in darkness. And that's our origin. And unless our origin is changed, that will be our destiny. Unless someone steps into our lives and makes us a new creation, gives us rebirth, a new origin, someone who is not in the darkness, someone who comes from outside the darkness, who is the source of life, who is the source of light, and steps into our lives and makes us new and changes our destiny, then we will stay in darkness. I think that's why he picked a man born blind because that was his origin. And yet when he met Jesus, Jesus changed him, gave him eyes to see. When we believe in Jesus, Colossians 1 tells us, we are rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sin. And one great example of this is Paul. We know Paul's history. He persecuted the church. He was so in love with his religion that he missed the God of his religion. And what happened? He's on the road to Damascus to do more persecution of the church. Because why? He's on, unbeknownst to him, because he's blind to this, on the side of Satan. He's killing the people in the church, putting them in jail. And on his way to Damascus, what happens? A light shines and blinds him. And and in Acts chapter 26, he's telling King Agrippa about this. And he says, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining all around me and those who were joining with me, journeying with me. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me with a Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And Jesus said, but get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose, I appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things which will appear to you. I've rescued from the Jews and the Gentiles to whom I, who I'm sending you. And listen to this, to open the eyes of them so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to the dominion of God that they may receive forgiveness, that they may have their origin changed, that they may move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. 2 Corinthians, Paul writes this, for God, 
said, light shall shine out of darkness. He said this, for God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God in the face of Christ. Light allows us to see, to have freedom, to have liberty, to have life. So here's the question I have for us. How do we respond? How do we respond? I want to say this. If you have never heard this before, if you've never trusted in Jesus, there's a very simple thing that you need to do today. And that's this. In John 12, 46, Jesus said, I have come as a light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. So if you've never believed in Christ, if you've never said, Lord, you died on the cross for my sins, you paid a penalty that I owe, you lived a life I couldn't live, a death that I couldn't die, that I deserve to die, and you did that in my place so that you could offer me life, and you rose again to prove it, that you conquered death. All you got to do is believe that. And the moment you believe that, you are transferred from darkness to light. Okay? Now, what about the rest of us? For those who have placed their faith in Christ. All right? Here's what Ephesians 5.8 tells us. For you were formerly darkness. Walk as children of light. Walk as children of light. I want to talk to you for a few minutes about that. What does that look like to walk as children? Well, first is this. Remember in John chapter 9, Jesus is going to say something to us. He says, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. While I'm in the world. Remember, he's going to leave. And he leaves and he ascends. And here's what he says. He has left us in the world. And he says, you are lights of the world. Let your light shine before men in such a way that you may see your good works and glorify your Father. So our first responsibility is to live in the light, to walk as true in light, so that others might see. We don't shine brightly so that we may be seen. We shine brightly so others may see. That's what God has called us to. So how do we do that? Take a few minutes. I want to share with you some thoughts, all right? How I think we do this. How do we walk in the light? Number one, if Jesus is the light, then we got to stay close to the light. And here's what happens. When we stay close to the light, when we are abiding in Christ, when we're connected to the vine that we talked about last week, kind of like Moses. Moses spent time with God and his face shone, but it would fade away. And so he went back and spent time with God and his face would recharge, right? That's what we need to be doing. We need to be standing close to the light, abiding in Christ, And when we do that, there will be a a residue of his reflection in our attitude, in our voice, in our words, in the way we treat people, in the way we drive in College Station and Bryan. (laughs) It is not easy for me to sin when I have been spending time with Jesus. It is very easy for me to sin when I have neglected it. Second is this, when we are constantly in the light, we are more aware of the darkness that's in us and that we struggle with. When you get a splinter in your finger, where do you go? Do you go to the closet to get it out? No, you go to to natural light. You go to the brightest light you can find. The problem is when we stand with the Lord, when we are staying close to the Lord, more of our darkness is seen. 
That gives us more of where we need to work and where we need to confess. I had an old discipleship manual years ago. And it said this, you can tell if you're growing with the Lord, if you're connecting with the Lord, if you're walking closely with the Lord, because you are more aware of the sin in your life. You're more of aware, you're aware of it more quickly. You're, you want to deal with it more quickly. You want to confess it more quickly. Some of us think in this room, and I'm, I'm putting myself in this category, that we don't have much sin. Oh, I've got some big ones. Remember what Isaiah said when he stood in the presence of God? He said, woe is me, I am a ruined man. If we were to stand close with Christ, very close with Christ, more of our sin would be revealed because he is the bright light and we are still filled with darkness. The reality is he has moved us, he has transferred us from darkness to light, but we still carry the darkness with us. And until he meets us again, until we either die or he comes back to receive us, we will not receive glorified bodies that are without sin. So we still struggle with the flesh. There's still a propensity for us to go back to the darkness. But let's be honest. All of us struggle. There's not a person in here who doesn't. There's not a, a pastor at our church who doesn't struggle with sin. Me included. I'll tell you right now. I struggle with what I look at. I struggle with your opinion of me. I struggle with the fear of man. I saw some deacons over there and they said, how are you doing this morning? I'll go, I got butterflies. That's not because I care what God thinks. It's because I care what you think. That's, that's sin in my heart. We all struggle. It reminds me uh, of a story a, a little boy asked his dad, Dad, how long can you go without sinning? Can you go a month? Dad, no, I can't go a month. Can you go a week? No, I can't go a week. Son is losing faith in his father right now. How about a day, Dad? Uh, I don't know if I can go a day, son. How about an hour? Uh, Maybe an hour? What about a minute, Dad? Now he's encouraging his dad. You know, I bet I could go a minute. His son said, Well, maybe that's how we should live our life, minute by minute. Walking with the Lord. Because it's constant. We have to constantly be in the light. As much as we possibly can. I always laugh. I say, you know, I struggle with sin. It's an addiction. Isn't an addiction something you can't stop doing? You want to stop, but you can't stop? Anybody ever hear stop sinning? Yeah, I've I've stopped some sins, but I'm still a sin addict, and I need to bring that to confession. We need S-A, right? Consistently going through our steps, confessing our sin. Paul admits this. He says, for what I'm doing, I do not understand. For what I, I'm not practicing what I'd like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. And the problem is you can't continue to walk in darkness. You can't continue to walk in the light if you continue to spend time in the darkness. They don't cohabitate. And here's the problem for that, okay? Darkness has power. And darkness's power is in darkness. And so when there are things, when there are sins in our lives and there's darkness in our lives, when we leave it in the dark, it like it grabs a hold of us and it just squeezes and it's got a tight grip. And then another hand grabs us, another hand grabs us, and it wants to keep us in the dark. That's our struggle with sin. That's what sin is like. We all know that struggle. <laughs> it's, it's hard. 
Anyone who says it's not hard, you are self-deceived. Because without the power of Christ, you are self-deceived about that statement. Sin is a, a real push in our life and a real pull. But that's where its power is. And, and the thing is, is if you can take that sin, that, that dark grip on you, and you can bring it into the light through confession, you know what it does? It loses its grip. There is freedom in light. There is bondage in darkness. And so how we walk in the light, one of the primary ways we walk in the light is through confession. We do it through confession. By bringing it in light. That's how we bring it in the light. Um, I was, I thought about this and um, this idea of dark and light. I did a, for my birthday, some friends of, my, friends of mine took me to uh, uh, this thing called the escape room here in College Station. All right? It's a room. You pay money for this. They lock you in the room and you have an hour to figure out how to get out. I loved it. There were clues, and there were like 30 locks and puzzles, and we had to figure out these different things and unlock these locks and find keys and, and do all this stuff. And, and we got out in 52 minutes. We had eight minutes left, down in the wire. And we had to call in and get all three clues because we, they give you three lifelines, you know. And we had to do that. But I thought about it, and, and at one point, they're big fond on black lights, and so we got this black light. But we turned the light off to see if there was anything on the wall. And... I will tell you, it, it, it struck me how dark it was. And I, and I thought about this room in the Christian life, and I thought everything we needed to get out of the room was right there in the room. And when you walk in light, we have everything as believers that we need to walk in the light and to be not held down by any bondage. Everything we need, the spirit in us, the word in us, the community of God around us, we have it. And it's there to give us freedom. But if we walk in darkness, you can't see those things. And when those lights were off, I was like, it doesn't matter that everything is in here for me to get out of this room. I can't get out because I'm in dark. But when the light switches on, everything is there available for me to not be locked in a room, to have freedom. And light happens when we confess. So I want to ask you, are you hiding from your sin are you hiding in your sin? Are you abiding in the light? Because you have three options. You have three options with sin. You can confess it, and that can, be, that can bring embarrassment. That can bring shame. It can be hard to do to confess our sins. Not only to God, but to one another. And we don't want to. But here's the other two options. You can be found out. God would let it be revealed. And you may not want that. Or God will let you stay in the darkness. Romans chapter 1 says he just turned them over to that. So those are our options. So I want to challenge all of us to be a people who are known for confession. That we would bring everything into the light. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so you may be healed. I want to tell you, when you take a leap of faith and are vulnerable with those, I remember I sat in a Bible study of men here a long time ago. And I remember sitting in this group of men, and they were talking about, how are you doing this week? And one by one, and these were all men older than me, one by one, oh, my cousin, if you could pray for my cousin, oh, um, 
my daughter's dog passed away. Um, it was so impersonal, so unauthentic. And they got to me and I said, I just got to tell you, I looked at things this week that I'm completely ashamed of. And one by one, they had already all gone and they started to be vulnerable and they started to be real about what was really going on in their lives. And I want to tell you something, vulnerability is a, is a leap of faith and it, it's hard to do that with people because you don't know what they're going to say. But let me tell you what, we are the, the church of God and God has given us grace and we should give each other grace and we should realize that our sins are just as bad as the next person's sins. And so when we hear someone talk about what they're struggling with, we shouldn't be casting judgment on them. We should, we should judge one another when we're not confessing. But when we're confessing and we're trying to stand before each other and be vulnerable, we should be giving grace and mercy to one, one another and then be open to one another. And when we do that, then we start moving out of bondage that we still struggle with as sinners who are redeemed, redeemed sinners. We still struggle with that, but we, we walk in the light and we have freedom again. So let me encourage us to be people of confession with the Lord and one another. I want to give you a challenge for the week, okay? I want you to go find a quiet place this week, and I want you to sit before the Lord, and I want you to have, pray this prayer, search me and show me. Search me and show me. Shine your bright light on me. And then I want you to say it. I want you to say the things that you need to confess to him. Go to your closet. You can do this. You can do this wherever you want. And then I want you to take a step of faith and I want you to find someone you trust. And I want you to name your struggle and bring it into the light in the body of Christ. So that we might walk in light as children of the light because he is the light. And we are his children. We are his family. And that's the life he's called us to is to walk in that way. So I want to encourage us to be a people of confession. All right, we're going to give you a chance right now to engage in a time of reflection and confession as we are going to participate in communion. So if I could have the men come forward. Take a moment before the Lord and say, Lord, right now, just in this place, shine your light on me. Show me what I need to bring before you before I take the cup and the bread. In John, there are three Passovers that they discuss, that they lay out. Before the first one, Jesus turned water into wine. Around the second one, Jesus broke the bread and fed 5,000. And the last Passover, he took with him in an upper room with his disciples. And 1 Corinthians records that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was portrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread. Father, we thank you that you died on our behalf, that you allowed your body to be broken so that we would not have to be. Thank you for the gift of your death on the cross. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying the cup is the new covenant in my blood. 
Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take the cup. Father, how powerful you are, how gracious you are. We love you. Thank you for what you have done for us in body and in blood. And thank you that you are the light and that we do not need to walk in darkness.